You're listening to Athleisure Kitchen, where you'll get the inside scoop with those in the culinary world from celebrity chefs, food personalities, restaurateurs, and more. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith of Athleisure Mad, so set an extra plate as we chat all things culinary. When it comes to culinary competition shows, Bravo's Top Chef is one of our favorites. We enjoy the quickfire challenges, restaurant wars, and watching competitors navigate across the show. We also like finding out about their restaurants and often seeing them reappear on future seasons of their shows. On season 10, we were introduced to Chef Brooke Williamson, who came in second only to come back in season 14 to win it all. In addition to these accolades, she is the co-owner and co-chef at the Triple, Playa Provisions, Hudson House Bar, Takiko Kiko, Small Batch Ice Cream, and Triplicate in Southern California. We find out more about her creativity, how she got into the industry, how she stays fit, and keeps it all together. What was the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a chef? I don't really remember that moment because I was so young. Um, I was probably six or seven years old when I decided I wanted to be a chef. And then it kind of just became like a thing that I worked towards my entire childhood. Um, So I don't have like one defining moment. It was just something that I always knew I wanted to do. Where did you train and what were restaurants that you worked at prior to the first restaurant that you opened? Um, Well... Uh, I didn't go to full formal culinary school. Um, I did take some cooking classes in my teens um, at a little cooking school called Epicurean. Um, but otherwise, it was all sort of restaurant training. Um, my first kind of formal um, culinary job was at Phoenix at the Argyle Hotel under Ken Frank um, on Sunset. And um, and then I, I was there for about a year and a half and then moved on to Michael's in Santa Monica and moved up to sous chef like within a year. So it, it wow. all kind of happened very quickly. But I think partially it was because I had been cooking kind of my whole life. How do you define your style of cooking? Um, I don't really. So my husband and I have um, uh, several different restaurants and they're all very different from each other. I would say the one sort of constant throughout our restaurants is is seasonality and locality. Uh, Mm. I would say that, um, you know, we try to cook with seasonal local ingredients as much as possible. And I think that just being a native, both of us are native Californians. I think we just kind of naturally gravitate toward a lot of produce and, um, and just kind of work from there. I, 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 all of our restaurants are, are very different conceptually, though. So mm-hmm. um, I don't have like a definitive answer for that. It's amazing that at the age of 22, you were the youngest chef to cook at the James Beard House. What do you remember preparing for to take on such a big task? Uh, yeah, I think at, the, at that age, I kind of didn't know the magnitude of what I was doing, which mm-hmm. may have helped me a lot in in my composure. Um you know, I knew what the James Beard House was. I knew what an honor it was, but I kind of didn't understand the magnitude of what it was. When you opened your first restaurant, what is the first takeaway that you took from, that you learned from, and how did it inform how you went about opening and managing your future ones? Um, well, my husband and I opened our first restaurant when we were very young, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and we were chefs. We weren't restaurateurs, and we kind of right. didn't know 
what what the difference was and we learned very quickly we went into a space without doing a ton of research on the lease or the history of the location and um, I think what really we took out of that was probably the most expensive culinary school I could imagine <laughs> um, that's what I consider it is you know your first failed restaurant is is such a learning experience mm-hmm. and I'm so glad that it happened the way it did and I had something to fall back on by the time we closed the doors but I, I mean I can't I can't even count on two hands the number of takeaways I got from that um, I just became a lot more business savvy and understood uh, how important the business side of, of restaurants really was. Can you tell us about each of your restaurants because they have a different feel to them so walk us through the worlds of your restaurants. Um, so the oldest one that is currently open is Hudson House, which has been there for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of morphed a lot since we first opened it. But I'd say that, that it, it is still sort of this warm gastropub feeling. You know, it was kind of the first gastropub in the Redondo area of its kind. And um, it's changed a lot. We've, you know, kind of, it's matured with us a little bit. We just did a, a bit of a state of facelift on it um so it looks more mature and um sort of modern than it ever has and the menu has changed a lot but um it still has that like very neighborhood Mm -hmm. feel to it and then the triple opened two out two years after that uh which is like a craft craft beer bar with sort of upscale bar food um you know we have uh, a couple of signature burgers which is kind of what we're known for at the Triple. Awesome. Um, and then we have Fire Provisions, which is right down the street from that, which is a four-in-one concept. We have uh, a whiskey bar, a full sit-down seafood restaurant, uh, a cafe that serves you know pastries and coffee in the morning all the way through lunch, um, and then uh, a ice cream counter. Wow. And then uh, where we make all our own ice cream, sort of nostalgic ice cream flavors. That's fun. And then... Uh, in Playa Vista, we have the Kiko Kiko, which is a fast, casual Hawaiian concept. We serve mainly poke bowls and musubi there, and then shave ice and dole whip as well. Uh, and then we have uh, an ice cream shop in Mar Vista, which is kind of an offshoot of, um, of Small Batch, which is in Playa Provision. Do you think that you will open additional restaurants and concepts in California? And also, do you think that you will open up in other cities down the road? husband are both chefs and restaurateurs and run your business together, how do you maintain how you work with one another as business partners, as well as to maintain your coupleship? Um, well, it's, it's 
only way we've ever known each other. It's, mm. you know, we, we met each other in the kitchen um, many, many years ago. And so it feels very natural to be in business together, which I think is, is a struggle for a lot of couples who don't start out that way. Uh, so we play off of each other in a business sense actually very well. And um, I would say the hardest thing is really just juggling the parenting right. with the business, um, trying to stay active, engaged parents while having the kind of crazy schedules that we do is, is has, has really been the hardest part, but somehow we've kind of managed to make both a priority. Um, and I think we're also very fortunate to have each other to sort of play off of and understand each other's lives and the fact that we you know, we don't want someone else raising our child. So um, I think just having the same sort of mindset about what we want our lives to be is really helpful. What are three signature dishes that if you had to select them from across your restaurants, what should we try? Um, well, I think that we just completely re- redid the menu. Um, so after mm. 10 years, we've kind of shifted things to a slightly like overall Asian feel, mm. um, a lot of Asian influence, but it still feels like a gastropub menu. And there are a couple of items that we will never be able to get rid of that um, we kind of have on a secret menu there because we knew we would make a lot of people angry if we got rid of them. Right. Um, would be the Hudson pretzel, pretzel burger, and then um, we do these brown sugar pork ribs, which which people go crazy for. My provisions, uh, I would say the lobster roll is something mm. that we're, we're pretty known for. Um, crab claw pots, it's like a snow crab claw with a crab cake on the end of it, and the whole thing is fried. I would oh say my that gosh. those become a signature staple, um, as well as like our specialty pastries. Um, we do a unicorn cake. Um, it's a special order, but like a rainbow sort of pastel layer cake with that's decorated like a unicorn and then filled with sprinkles and stuff. Oh, that is cute. Um, which, you know, we sell a couple couple of a week. Wow. <laughs> um, the triple, I would definitely say the triple burger is is the go-to staple um, that we're known for on that menu. It's um, duck confit, pork, and ground beef with truffle cheese and apricot jam on oh an onion brioche bun. The Kiko Kiko... <laughs> I would say our signature things at Kiko Kiko are the spicy tuna bowl and um, and the spam musubi. Uh, although we do a really good um, salmon musubi that sells almost as well, um, as well as the shave ice um, people. Mm. People come in for just for shave ice. Um, I would say our like the sort of signature staple flavor of ice cream that we have at Small Batch is. Um, also, my son's favorite, which would be mint Oreo or oh, wow. chocolate malted crunch, which is kind of a play, the old thrifty junior flavor. You were asked to collaborate with a brewery to create Girl Grey. Where did this idea come from by having these interesting flavors of the Belgian style ale, the almonds and Earl Grey tea to come together? Um, well, I knew I wanted to do um, a, a Belgian triple just because it's my favorite style of beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also why the triple is spelled T-R-I-P-E-L, like mm-hmm. the style of, of Belgian beer. Um, so I felt like it only made sense to do a Belgian triple. And then I kind of just used my chef brain in the sense that, like, I 
thought about flavors that I felt like naturally went well with, with sort of a higher alcohol, creamy aged ale. And um, there, there were probably seven different flavor ideas and combinations um, that were on the table. And that's the one that really stuck. And uh, we made a sample of it and it, it tasted really good. So we kind of just went with that one. Is it still available? Um, it was a one-time oh. release. So I don't, I'm sure there is like some stashed away, um, but I don't know that they'll purchasable from the brewery. We know you also did a sour beer with them. Do you see yourself doing collaborations like this? Um, I would totally be up for it. Uh, They, you know, I feel like it was a one-time collaboration um, that they were looking to do. But if they came back to me and were interested in doing another flavor with me, I'd happily be into it. So what led you to the decisions that brought you to Top Chef for season 10? And after having all of the experiences from that season, what made you say that you would come back for season 14 where you ultimately won that one? First time was, um, it was a really difficult decision. I, I had a four-year-old at the time. Mm. Um, I had turned it down several times, several years before um, finally saying yes. But I had kind of just seen what it had it, it had done for other chefs and the platform that it creates for for, for chefs who do well on it. And one, I, I felt like it was a personal challenge to do something totally out of my comfort zone just to challenge myself. Um, but I also feel like, you know, now more than ever do I agree with, with how I felt then in the sense that, like, the restaurant business is, is a difficult business. So I feel like anything that you can kind of continue to do to stay relevant and, and just sort of let people know that you're out there and and waiting for them, you know, to recognize you is is worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you don't know how you're going to do or come off when you do something like that. Mm. But I, I felt like I was relatively... Um, unconcerned with my personality coming off in a terrible way. Uh Um, So it was more of just like a personal challenge of like, let's see where we can take this. For season 14, was it more of a no-brainer? It wasn't because I I felt like, what are the chances that I can do better than second Sundays? On a personal note, it was, it was, it was a much more difficult decision personally. Um, professionally, it should have been a, a it was kind of a no, no brainer because right. I saw firsthand what it did for business um, and for my career. Um, but personally, I, you know, the thought of going back and, you know, being eliminated first, second, third, or even anything better than, or anything less than winning would have been a total disappointment to me. And that's yeah. kind of how I entered into it, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, that that was the mentality that I kind of had, which helped and hurt in several ways. In terms of your top chef squad, we see you with Richard Blaze on the show, and we see you with other chefs from the show for your appearances, etc. When you're not in those areas, who from the show do you hang out with? lot of really good friends from the show mm-hmm. um people that i would consider close personal friends that that i that i made that i keep in contact with on a very regular basis mm. um i mean Kristen kish is is one of my closest friends and casey thompson is one of my closest friends um and you know i i have a plethora of other people i'm good friends with 
Shirley, um, Sheldon. Mm-hmm. I have I, I could go down a list of people that I've kept in touch with on a regular basis, but um, I would say a good handful of them are people that I legitimately consider my closest friends. I know that you have done a lot of TV from Top Chef, MTV's House of Food, and Esquire Network's Night Fight. What are upcoming shows that we can expect to see you on? Um, I haven't done a ton of shooting as of lately. Um, An episode of Top Chef that I just judged just aired. Well, I love seeing you on there with your Christmas sweater. So cute. My ugly sweater? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I do little things here and there, nothing that, that I would say that like, I feel like I need to promote though. You have so many accolades under your belt from being a chef, restaurateur, whiskey aficionado, beer creator. What else is on your list that you want to add to that you have yet to tackle? Um, not really. Um, there are other areas. That I, there are areas that I feel like I want to do better mm-hmm. in, um, but I would say that um, I, the way that I kind of feel about my life and my career is that I've done a lot of things pretty well. I would love to say that um, that I do more things very well. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of right now at a point where I don't need to do more stuff to, to do more stuff. Right. Um, I want to make sure that what I'm doing is really quality. So um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't feel like I need to like expand my horizons or, um, you know, I just feel like I, I want to make my restaurants that are currently open the best that they can be. And I want to, um, you know, just make sure that people are having good experiences as often as possible and be more present in my restaurants and my life and as a parent. So mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, no, I don't I don't feel like I need to branch out. <laughs> I feel like I need to branch in. That's a good one. I feel like a lot of times we do bite off so many things and branching in is a good thing. Totally. I mean, yeah, even when it comes to like my health mm-hmm. and my mental and physical wellness and my my parenting and my friendships, I feel like there are a lot of things that have sort of suffered, not dramatically, but yeah. suffered in one way or another by me just being stretched too thin. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I just want to do everything a little bit better. I know that you're an avid soul cycler and you do fitness and various workouts. Why is this so important to you to have this as a part of your lifestyle? Um, one, just because I feel like I physically need to maintain my health in order to live the lifestyle that I live mm-hmm. and do all the things that I do. I don't think that I could, I, you know, the, the travel really takes a lot out of me when I travel to do appearances and dinners and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm not a great traveler. So um, I think just maintaining, and I think maintaining some sanity uh, mm-hmm. is, is really due to my exercise regimen. And I can feel it not only physically, but mentally when I don't, when I don't exercise, when I don't get that energy out in, in the right way, I feel like my whole life really suffers. You recently cycled through Italy to tour their countryside as well as to enjoy the foods of the region. Did you have to train yourself to do that kind of cycling as it seemed like you were on your bike quite a bit to get everywhere? I mean, I think I had to, um, I had to train myself on how to actually be on a real road bike. Well, then, um, then there's that too. Which is, yeah, it's, it's not a no-brainer. It's, it's actually mm-hmm. a very scary um, piece of equipment. And wow. um, if you don't, use it properly you can get I mean it can kill you so I feel like I needed to sort of just up my game on how to 
be on a real bicycle outside and mm-hmm. not on a stationary bike, which is what I was kind of used to, um, and how to sit in a saddle for that many hours at a time, that's really where oh, wow. I struggled the most, um, was just number of hours sitting on those little those little bike seats. Oh my! So <laughs> Which how, seems like nothing right. when you're talking about biking hundreds of miles, but it's really what kills you. How many hours were you on the spike without a rest? I mean, we would stop for coffee okay. and we would stop <laughs> when needed, mm-hmm. um, but we were with a group of people, and I, I wasn't going to be the reason why why Got things it. were taking too long. You weren't going to so, be that girl, um, you know, especially since I was technically kind of helping lead this trip, right? So, you know, we would go, we would go for a couple of hours um, and then stop for coffee and then go for a couple more hours and then stop for lunch and then it was usually like kind of a quick ride to whatever hotel we were staying at but I mean the difference between a 45 minute or an hour long soul cycle class and five hours in a bike seat is huge. What are three must-haves that you bring with you regardless of where you are traveling to? Hmm. Regardless of where I'm told, you're talking about specifically travel? Yeah, like, you know, if I'm... Because I have, um, I, if I am taking a flight, mm-hmm. I will always have my stuffed rabbit flopsy that I've had since I was four. I um, love that. In my carry-on. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm going to get on a flight, I have flopsy. Yep, yep. Um, I have, I'm not religious at all, but I have a St. Christopher... I love that. I travel with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of my, like, don't get on a plane unless I have these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I don't know. I, I travel with snacks always. Mm-hmm. I'm always the one that in our family that packs, like, the Ziploc gallon bag full of snacks because I feel like unnecessary travel hunger just mm-hmm. adds to the stress of travel. Um and I also hate having to grab a bag of Doritos because there isn't a banana. Right. Um, I always have a little, um, it's like a little pot of lavender scented like balm. Yes. Or something that smells good. Yeah. Usually it's lavender scented. I do, I am kind of a high anxiety person and Same. Um, <laughs> smells really helping. And then also, um, Dr. Pepper lip smacker chapsticks. I actually mentioned them on, I can't remember where I mentioned that I always have them and I couldn't find them. Like Target stopped carrying them. Yep. Um, and, or specifically the Dr. Pepper flavor mm-hmm. and, um, lip smacker actually sent me like a six pack that I'm currently on my last one. So where can we find you grabbing a meal outside of your restaurants, working out and doing a bit of shopping? Oh my God. Um, That's right. <laughs> I don't often grab a cocktail outside of my restaurants. Wow. Um, I, I'm, I, use, I like grew up in Los Angeles. I was a total bar hopper at the age of 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like the, the, I was the 20 year old, yes, 20 year old sitting at the, at the Formosa bar after work by myself, drinking a Johnny Walker Black on the Rocks oh, every yes. single night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. However, I feel like um, I got that out in my 20s and I don't feel like I need to go to bars just to like go to bars anymore. Yep. Plus, I, I have a child that I really appreciate putting to bed at night um, mm-hmm. and, and I can have a really great cocktail at my own restaurant. So All right. I, I would definitely say I'm not a bar goer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then when it comes to eating meals outside my restaurants, we generally go ethnic, um, generally go Asian. We mm. do a lot of sushi. Um, we go to Kampai mm. in Westchester a lot. Um, we go to um, Ayara for Thai food a lot. Um, we go to Forge ASAP for spa. Um, so I would I would definitely say we do a lot of Asian food and we keep it very local. I love that. And where do you work out? I know it's Soul Cycle, but do you have another studio that you enjoy as well? Yeah, so I um, I, I definitely am a Soul Cycler, but um, every couple of months I do um, this boot camp that's done by Lacey Stone. She's we love her. Yep. And she does like a two-week uh, boot camp called Reboot. I'm actually starting one on Monday. Nice. Um, and it's like two weeks of no drinking, eating super clean. I prep my all my own meals. And um, I, I still go to spin classes, mm-hmm. um, but three days a week I go to her boot camp in the morning. Um, and she's currently... I think the next one is being done at the Wall, which yep. is like mid city. Be there three days a week. Yeah, I've never been there, so I'm, I'm excited to check it out. And where do you love shopping? Online. That's fine. <laughs> um, I I am not a huge shopper. I, I don't like to try things on. Um, I do like to see things in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I come across something, I don't like go on shopping excursion. When I walk into a store and see something I like, I often just buy it on an impulse mm-hmm. and hope that it'll stick because I also hate returning things but yeah um but I, yeah I'm not I'm not a huge shopper so I you know I prefer like the moment my my like conditioner is running low I go on to Amazon and I and I order it I would say I have an Amazon delivery every single day by the time I decide that I need to go buy something mm-hmm. I, it usually takes me a couple of days to get to whatever store it is anyway exactly. and I can you know I can have it at my doorstep without even having to go there how do you define your personal style in terms of what you wear when you go to work and what you wear when you're going out with friends for a date night um very all very different from each other mm-hmm. I love fashion I love clothes I love shoes um and but I also hate like I'm I'm not an everyday like make myself look great every time I leave the house kind of mm-hmm. person like I, so I work out a lot I wear a lot of workout clothes mm-hmm. um and um but I also try not to make that my my daily outfit yeah which tends I you know I try not to fall back on that as like my go-to I work out in workout clothes and then I try to like care about what I look like otherwise Mm -hmm. but um I wear a lot of comfortable stuff like I love overalls I love jumpers I was like I'm a big fan of being comfortable Mm -hmm. but also having a cute outfit on um I do love getting dressed up I'm the first one to say like I'm going out to dinner to a nice restaurant. I'm excited to, like, put on a pair of heels and a dress. Exactly. Um, Especially since my everyday, like, work life means dressing down. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, work is jeans and, like, a a button-down, like, like a flannel or a long sleeve shirt or or overalls or whatever. Um, So when I, like, when I get dressed up, I really love getting dressed up. I can only imagine how busy you are. What's your morning routine like to get to your restaurant? Um, well, I'm very short 
fortunate in the sense that my husband is a morning person because I am not. <laughs> um, so on a weekday, it goes off at 6.20 yeah. um, or 6, I think it's like 6.18. Oh, <laughs> nice. <like that. laughs> um, and um, he usually, I'm, I usually start by like complaining nice. about having to get up. And um, my son will come like, one-eyed down the hallway and walk into our bathroom and take a shower because he's not a morning person either and he found that his morning routine needs to include a shower. Nice. Um, And my husband will get up and make coffee and that's usually kind of how I am able to get out of bed as he brings me coffee. Um, And then if I'm a workout first kind of person so Mm -hmm. if I am it's, if it's my turn to take our son to school, then I'll take him and head straight to a full cycle class. If it's not, I mean, depending on if I'm in boot camp or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but if my husband takes him, like my husband goes to a trainer on Tuesday and Thursday, so he takes him to school before that. So on Tuesday or Thursday, I can kind of take my time a little bit more and go to whatever class I want to, mm. rather than just the one that is closest to school. Nice. Um, but I'm definitely like a, take a class kind of person yeah um i do have a peloton bike at home and if i can't pull it together to get to a class i'll take a peloton class Mm. um or maybe go for a run if i'm a running kick which i haven't been in a while um and then and then it's like shower and get as much done as quickly as possible depending on where i have to be and when um before before one of us has to pick up our son from school. Wow. How do you take time for yourself with such a busy schedule that you have? I mean, I consider my workouts time for myself. I I don't know that everyone considers it that, but I think that working out is really just me taking care of myself and doing the things that I need to be doing to keep myself sane. So, I mean, that's kind of me scheduling a workout into my day is really kind of my way of taking care of myself. What philanthropic efforts or ways that you give back to the community do you do? Yeah, totally. Um, I do a lot of work with No Kid Hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, I am about to start doing some good training for the next chef cycle that I'm hoping I can find nice. someone to watch my son mm-hmm. or maybe take him with me. Um, it's a 300 mile bike yep. ride um, up in Sonoma that yeah. happens every year and all the proceeds go to No Kid Hungry. Uh, I also do a lot of um, like auction dinners, um, mm. donated dinners for No Kid Hungry as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of I'm always participating in in organizations that I feel passionate about. Um, Planned Parenthood has mm-hmm. had my support since for as long as I can remember. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could, I could go on, but yes. We can't wait to sit with you again every two weeks to share another great story with you at Athleisure Kitchen. Athleisure Kitchen is part of Athleisure Studio, our multimedia podcast network, which is a division of Athleisure Media and whose sister site is Athleisure Mag. Get the latest episode by enjoying us on your favorite podcast platform and by checking out the show notes for additional content. You can stay in the loop on who future guests are by visiting us at athleisurestudio.com backslash Athleisure Kitchen and on Instagram at Athleisure Kitchen and at Athleisure Studio. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith. 
Athleisure Kitchen is executive produced by Paul Farkas and is mixed by the team at Athleisure Studio and is available on your preferred podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you enjoy listening. We'll see you guys in two weeks, so make sure that you set an extra plate for us.